we have to do a shift. I no longer think infections generally should be the major uh, major me uh, metric. Obviously, we can continue to track infections among unvaccinated people, but we really have to focus on hospitalizations and deaths now. This decoupling of cases and hospitalizations means we need to change our approach and look at the success of this virus as preventing illness, not every case. We're going to be working to unwind the sort of testing psychology that our federal leadership has managed to unfortunately get much, most of the country in over the last two years. Welcome to the Death Panel. It is the first free episode of the new year. To support the show and get access to the second weekly bonus episode, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. This week's bonus episode was uh, great. It was called CDC Says Get Back to Work. And obviously, we talk about the recent decision to shorten COVID isolation guidelines in mm -hmm. the United States. It's a great conversation, so if you'd like to listen to that episode or any of the other past bonus episodes, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And if you want to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, or follow us at deathpanel underscore. So just to sort of start us off, I thought, you know, considering the topics we're going to cover today, I'd lay the groundwork by just doing a brief picture of where we're at with COVID right now in the United States. Sure. Because yeah. I think yeah. you kind of have to like understand the totality of that for any of this to be interesting, mm -hmm. right? So as of yesterday, Wednesday, January 5th, the New York Times COVID tracker has reported over 1,000 deaths a day for all but five of the last 138 days. And as we've talked about before, those five days were deaths numbering like 956 or something. And, and is widely considered to be, you know, reporting under hours. reporting, yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, the CDC is forecasting 84,626 deaths over the next four weeks. Jesus Christ. Do they give uh, the percentage of those deaths that, uh, according to David Leonhardt, will be mild deaths? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. Apparently all of them are mild deaths right. yeah. uh, at this point. So, yeah. Also, I mean, not to just fix things on what, what is about to happen. 40,000 deaths happened in December in the yeah. United States alone. And we had, for the first time, just an incredible fucking figure uh, this week, which is we had our first day of one million new cases reported yeah. in a single day. So that's cool. That's just that's just great. Yeah, I was going to say, great. you know, projecting 84,000 thousand plus deaths over the next four weeks, which also by the CDC's own admission, uh, hat tip to friend of the panel, Wes Bignell, for pointing this disclaimer out with this uh, projection data. They say uh, CDC says, quote, current forecasts may not fully account for the emergence and rapid spread of the Omicron variant or changes in reporting during the holidays and should be interpreted with caution. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not surprising considering like that this is what the death projections are considering, you know, as already said, we have such an extreme level of case spread that we've reported 1 million positive cases in a single day here. Well, and I feel like at each phase of the pandemic, there is always because like back of all of this, like 
there is the the basic failure of American governing institutions to really want to do anything especially proactive about this. So like every new phase of the pandemic has a series of conceptual innovations. Like, you know, early on, it was like, you know, like the, the Trump years was like uh, testing like, well, you know, t- testing is the problem. That was like right. the Trump innovation. You right? do too many tests and it's going right. to lead to too many, many tests, positives. Right. And then you're going to be so scared. Yeah, And it's like and that never really like it, it, it uh, you know, that claim sort of migrated, but it never like went away. We're still sort of like the effects of that are sort of lingering. Um, but then like layered on top of that in each successive wave of the pandemic, they're like new conceptual innovations. There's deaths pulled from the future. That was mm-hmm. sort of like later on in 2020, as we, as we pointed out, then mm-hmm. there's like um, in 2021, there's the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now I feel like we are on the precipice given Omicron and given the fact that cases are surging in the way that they are, there's like a whole new series of conceptual innovations that were, I think we might not yeah. have even seen. It's sort of like you don't know what the big trends are uh, in the new year, <laughs> and you know maybe like about February or March, you start to get a sense of like what the year, the colors for the year are going to be. <laughs> um, I don't know when, when Pantone like releases like the new color for the year. Yeah, we're we're like, trend forecasting here, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. the but I but we've already actually I do think we've seen like a few of these. Uh, new things already, right? Right. Well, and I, I'm glad that you brought some of those earlier frameworks up because I think as we kind of continue to go through these, the two things that specifically the two things that we want to talk about today that have been just pervasive um, pieces of messaging, as we'll kind of get into, I think slowly throughout, they're like they're actually very intimately related to. They're kind of like we're you know there's there's like kind of a genealogy of mm-hmm. like that has led that you're is the stuff that you're referencing that has led us to what we're going to talk about. But not anyway, not to belabor the point too much, you know, as B was saying, though, it's important to first set up this context that we're in. Some may say, like us, that in the context of all these cases and deaths and all of the stuff that B just listed, it would be a really good time to pay people to stay home, mm-hmm. um, consider a lot of other protections, shifting to a strategy that isn't kind of exclusively get the vaccine and you're fine, you know, do vaccination, obviously, but then on top of that layer, other NPIs. So, you know, some some may say that some may say that clearly the pandemic is still a troublesome, horrible thing that is bearing down on the United States and others would say no. Nah. Yeah. Right. Some really. people some people are saying that uh actually cases don't matter. Right. And that we should decouple our pandemic policies from case numbers and instead tie policies to hospitalization numbers. But that's only half of the story. So in terms of hospitalization, the number of people in the US hospitalized with COVID nineteen has hit a high, high record, the highest record since a year ago, January twenty twenty one, before uh vaccines were largely rolled out. But there are currently over 115,000 people in the hospital in the United States. That is staggering. With COVID. With COVID. Yep. Yes. Uh, 115,000 people. Or should I say for COVID? Well, well let's right. get into this. It's undeniable that we have a lot of people in the hospital with COVID, right? And yet we find ourselves at our second topic now, which is, you know, really uh, going to be a deep dive into the argument that rather than look at hospitalizations as a whole, actually, We need to be differentiating between those hospitalized with COVID and those hospitalized for COVID and that pandemic policies and putting protections in place should be dictated 
not by the whole number of hospitalizations, but by whatever number is produced by differentiating between with and for (laughs) or with and because. So now, you know, as you see, we've kind of got like a two in one episode for you, actually, because... (laughs) These two arguments are part and parcel. They're like two halves of the same coin, like a kind of cat dog, um, which at first blush (laughs) appears to be like two different and separate arguments, right? Like the first is, we'll call it like the, the call to stop looking to total case counts, which is framed as being related to issues in access to testing. And the right. second, which is the with for debate, is actually framed as like a fight against fear. Right. So just to summarize uh, the rest of this conversation, we're basically going to uh, be diving into these two extremely pervasive lines. One, that cases are an increasingly unnecessary metric and that we should therefore understand cases as decoupled from hospitalization numbers that we expect to see and also decouple cases from being a metric for which to make policy. And two, we additionally need to then start separating those hospitalization numbers themselves between those hospitalized, quote unquote, with COVID and those hospitalized, quote unquote, for COVID. Right. Right. So. Anyway, please continue. So, yeah, let's let's start with the first framework, which is the uh, call to stop looking at total case counts. Um, Again, as I said, it's framed as being more related to issues and access to testing. You know, like people say, well, you know, total testing supply is really in jeopardy right now. And so we need to ration tests anyways. So, you know, and besides, some people are testing at home and and we've got nothing set up to collect those data. So um, we really shouldn't be looking at total test numbers anymore. That that is sort of the idea is that that now exists in its own little bubble separate from the experience of danger in the pandemic. Yeah. And the thing that people have said, I, I was trying to and, and Artie, thank you for finding the kind of um, least straw man version of this argument. And like, I think the thing that I've seen is that people are like, well, back, you know, a year ago or even five months ago, you saw this tight coupling that like cases were followed by hospitalizations, like the, the, the rate of increase was kind of almost overlapping, you know, maybe a couple weeks behind. And people are like, well, we're not there yet. Well, First of all, we don't know if we're not there yet. It hasn't necessarily been uh, long enough to say uh, that we're not there yet. But the other thing to note is that even if there is decoupling in the data that's, you know, with it suggests that, okay, vaccination does have an effect on how many people uh, actually go to the hospital or, you know, that Omicron is like milder or something, like even if that's true, it's still the case that if you want to understand where hospitalizations are going to be the most prominent, the best predictor that you have is cases. That's because that's literally that is how you understand the spread of a disease. If you look at if you try to correlate like vaccination rates and hospitalizations like that doesn't necessarily work. If you try to interact cases and uh, vaccination rates like that doesn't necessarily give you anything. The, the best predictor that we have, and it's a crude one. Still, of course, is cases. So, I mean, the idea that you don't want to look at that uh, in the face of this this huge spike is, to me, absurd, because regardless of how the disease is progressing, this is still an important leading indicator of something like hospitalizations and cases are just correlated. Right. And I, I feel like this is part of the argument also that really the problem is that it's not that like. COVID is going to keep spreading. It's that sort of inevitability of everyone's going to catch COVID and we just need to like accept that it's endemic and that it's actually the lack of it, 
uh, acceptance that this sort right. of level of community spread is just going to be absolutely normal. That is the sort of problem right now or the sort of site of psychic suffering. Right. I mean, it's really tied up into this whole idea of like pandemic addicts. Right. And people who are like, quote unquote, like addicted to lockdown. If, if even if you're just advocating for like the most bare minimum protections. Right. The fact of the matter is whether you want to acknowledge it or not, like knowing when people are testing positive for a disease because it's like spreading throughout the population, particularly for like a virus who, which has its own specific therapeutics is really actually just important from like a clinical standpoint. So the idea that, yeah, right. Right. Like, you know, it's like with flu, for example, right. If we didn't test people for the flu, then we wouldn't be able to give them Tamiflu in time for it to work. Right. Like there are all these other, uh, you know, interventions that these same people are saying are really important, right? Like Monica Gandhi, who's been one of the biggest advocates for saying we need to stop looking at overall case counts, is also one of the biggest advocates for COVID antivirals. And she says that COVID antivirals are one of the reasons that we can stop looking at case counts to understand things, <laughs> right? Like, so she clearly <laughs> understands that this dynamic is all related, right? And how important testing is as a sort of first indicator of where we're going to need to allocate um, healthcare resources, right? Or infrastructural resources or or just literally anything, right? It's our first sign of where the hotspot might be. And that's and I think that that's actually a nice way of putting it because these data have always sort of served two functions in a way, um, not not just two functions, but like two, two functions that come to mind in this connection. One is like they are actually the thing that we need to plan what the next series of responses to the virus is going to be, right? But the other function that they evidently perform is they are one of the sociological prosthetics uh, that that people use to, like, interpret, are things bad now, in quotation marks? Like, uh, how how bad are things? Because, you know, I, I look in the paper and, like, it's on page two. I still see the, um, they still print the, the, you know, the graph. Right. And I think that like when people are talking about, oh, you know, don't look at the cases anymore. They're like saying, oh, yeah, it's it's not as bad now. You don't have to think about it in the same way right. now. You're fine. Everything's fine. Um, but the real blowback effect of that, like regardless of the ways in which the virus has changed, like just leave that aside. It is that you end up de-emphasizing things that are really, really important in preventing the progression of the disease, um, the depletion of resources, uh, even just like really basic planning things like that insistence, that clinging to the idea that it's really not as bad as you think. um, And this isn't like a, you know, a doom and gloom sort of thing. It's just like a very irresponsible, like even just like professionally irresponsible way of telling people that they have to look at have to look at the uh the graph in a particular way well yeah and i mean i, I feel like um i mean i want to get us away from even feeling like we have to defend the the continued use of cases as a metric because like obviously yeah, we should I, I would like to focus actually specifically on kind of one of the things that you uh, brought up phil which is that it's basically not to sort of overly simplify it as though it's a dialectic but you could kind of read it as a very direct response to like okay so basically i mean if you think about it, um, as you know, as we've talked about a whole in a, a number of different mm-hmm. contexts, like so the the end of the pandemic has been sociologically produced. Things continue to be bad, however, in reality, obviously, regardless of the sociological production. Um, in addition to that, 
there was sort of a fleeting moment, I think, at the sort of mid, like around mid fall or whatever. A lot of people went back to work. A lot of people went back to school. A lot of schools went back to, in person for the first time in a while. And I think there was a pretty pervasive sentiment by a lot of sort of, you know, some of your stock COVID ghouls that like it was over mm-hmm. and they, they had won. Um, and so I'm not totally surprised that despite, um, for instance, like enormous rise in cases. Uh, and I'm not even talking about ju- just recently when we got to like, you know, I think just in the last episode, I said I called like 400,000 cases in one day staggering. And now we had this week where we had 1 million cases in one day. Right. And so but but way before that, in like December 2021, um, mere to, weeks ago, mere weeks ago, right. Um, <laughs> way before that. But, like, no, no, but a it couple is, weeks but, ago. <laughs> but it is it is before. Yes. Yeah. You know, whatever. So like, you know, cases were rising. Um, and I think there was an increased attention to, okay, so these cases are rising. How, how do we rationalize that in the context where we are basically still telling everyone this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, everyone's fine, right? And I do think that uh, obviously not just people like Monica Gandhi, but a bunch of it, but I think she's very indicative as be mentioned. Um, and a number of other people, including like Ashish Jha, has made um, statements to this regard. But like mm-hmm. Monica Gandhi and others, I think, have been very successful in making sort of paradigmatic arguments for the idea that cases no longer matter. I want to just read a couple of uh, her statements from a piece from The New York Times, an opinion piece published by The New York Times by Monica Gandhi, December 11th, 2021, called Why Hospitalizations Are Now a Better Indicator of COVID's Impact. Monica says here explicitly, quote, the country will need a new framework for thinking about what comes next and in highly vaccinated areas focusing on a different set of numbers from cases, hospitalizations rather than case counts can better tell us how we are doing. Learning to live with the virus again, like bingo card right here in the long term will require changes in both mindset and policy. Relying on COVID-19 hospitalizations as the most important metric to track closely will provide the most reliable picture of how an area is faring with the virus. And by focusing attention on the number of hospitalizations, health professionals can better focus on reducing them. Not sure how that makes any sense because you'd want to prevent hospitalizations by knowing how many cases are happening. But I, I, anyway, I just want I to continue. Digress. <laughs> I digress. Um, <laughs> this becomes especially important as case counts become more complicated. A case of COVID-19 doesn't mean what it used to if you were vaccinated. And this, I think, is like the really important thing. Because while, yes, for individuals, vaccination against COVID-19 does improve your chances... Mm-hmm. Again, as we've said a million times, breakthrough infections happen, breakthrough deaths do happen. And even if it's a smaller, uh, you know, smaller percentage, a small percentage of a huge fucking number is still a huge number. Yeah. So, you know, and then anyway, but, but basically, so what, I, I bring this up because I do think that this is reflected not only in popular discourse mm-hmm. about the virus, but also I think whether explicitly this is being cited or not in, for instance, Biden administration policy, similar ideas about how to kind of continue to defend, for instance, like the president's use just this week of the term a pandemic of the unvaccinated. I just want to I want to point to a a report about a White House COVID-19 briefing um, session that happened December 16th, uh, reported in CNN on December 18th. I'm just going to read from this report. Uh, And remember, this is about a week 
or you know, this is like five days after the Monica yeah. Gandhi New York Times which op-ed the 11th. Out, which we know that yeah. you know Biden administration people are people who read New York Times op-eds. It's like one of their That's things. That's anyway. abundantly clear <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, we know that they read New York Times what op-eds. What does the Oracle say today? Atlantic articles and Matthew Iglesias's Substack. Um, so. President Joe Biden's top health officials came to an afternoon briefing at the White House Thursday, December 16th, with a warning and a request. Biden listened intently as the officials laid out the contours of a looming coronavirus surge that could accelerate rapidly, swamp hospitals, and send the country into another bleak winter. Yet, Biden's team also came to to the evergreen bedecked Roosevelt room, okay, with potentially more positive news. Many of those cases will remain mild or even asymptomatic in vaccinated people, particularly those who've gotten booster shots. It was a message the officials urged Biden to deliver to the public in the clearest terms possible, according to people familiar with the session. Only by laying out the stark difference in outcomes between vaccinated and unvaccinated infections could the gravity of the moment come through. This, to me, not to digress too much, but I think this is also the seed behind the argument we talked about in the patron episode with the CDC. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And the other thing too, is that what I think we've also seen is the emergence of the sort of implication that the reason why vaccinated people are in the hospital is because they've been irresponsible in getting their booster too. So what I've seen a lot of people tweeting about is like, Oh, you know, uh, I've seen so many like cases of like COVID pneumonia and people who have quote, like, failed to get their booster or who are overdue for their booster, et cetera. So I, I think, you know, as always, like we are looking for like as these like arguments shift, but like the pandemic of the unvaccinated argument sort of has like different branches now because it has a lot more like nuance and more wide like applicability in response to challenges about who exactly is unvaccinated, right? Because there's still the issue of the vast majority of unvaccinated people being poor without insurance or children under the age of five i um i fucked up i need to read the most important part okay um sorry here's so here's the most important part though of the cnn uh report um quote we're getting to the point now where it's about severity said javier becerra the secretary of the department of health and human services in a meeting with reporters this week it's not about cases it's about severity unquote mm. Becerra said the issue recently arose during a meeting at the White House with Biden's COVID response team. Other officials also said the issue of how to refocus the public away from total cases toward the severity of illness Mm -hmm. has Mm -hmm. been an ongoing subject of discussion within the administration. Quote, there's a degree of difficulty that now comes in trying to decide what means it's severe and what you have to do to stay out of that threshold of severity, Becerra said. But I think that's where we're heading is to try to be able to tell the public that, unquote. Mm. Right. So this is, I mean, this is the really uh, thing that that seems to be looming here. If we're talking about this in yeah. terms of like political strategy, they're like, look, we, the, the public makes decisions about how our administration is doing kind of on the basis of a coin flip. <laughs> Labor is disorganized. And the main thing that we need to do is not create this, like not reignite some sort of, um, you know, issue with capital, right? Or, or some economic crisis. And they've already foregrounded that in a way by saying, if somebody asked a uh, uh, spokesperson for the administration recently, like, are you, are you planning on like, you know, more COVID relief? And they're like, no, like maybe something for small right. businesses possibly, but generally speaking, no, we're not going to like use the power of government to stave off an economic crisis, what we're going to do is decentralize 
uh, responsibility for uh, <laughs> yeah. the spread of the disease when it does inevitably happen. Because if you de sort of de-emphasize the importance of cases and the message to people is continue to live your life. I think the Leanna Wen uh, thing was like, <laughs> if you're vaccinated, like there's no reason why you shouldn't be just like living your life essentially as you were. I mean, all of that does is promote spread and increase, you know, probabilistically the number of deaths that are going to happen. The administration's gamble here is that that won't matter uh, right. politically for them. And that's a an incredibly cynical and crass political gamble. But oh it, signals God, yeah. some, it signals something that I think has been true really from the beginning, which is that you can't count on. Like you cannot count on this set of institutions to protect public health. It's fundamentally incapable of doing it. And if you're expecting, you know, uh, quote unquote, well-regulated capitalism or even mildly regulated <laughs> capitalism to do that, this is where you're going to land. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's, you know, depending on the particular configuration, uh, institutional configuration, you might land in one or another version of this. But it's pretty much where you're going. I mean, it's. Right. There's not much difference. Well, yeah, and it's and it's I mean, it's insidious, too, because it's you clearly in the situation. There are two options. One is you accept that there are a lot of there are sharply rising cases and hospitalizations and Mm -hmm. uh, that there continue to be as there have been many, 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 many totally unnecessary deaths. You either accept that and say, you know, okay, we're going to actually work on doing something about it, which is, as you're saying, Phil, not really, um, you know, does not really fit the prerogative of, <laughs> uh, of, you know, a, a state that mainly is focused on maintaining capital. Right. right. Um, and ma- maintaining its functions as like a, a capitalist state. Um, or you do what the Biden administration appears to be doing, which is you say, okay, we're going to, um, challenge the meaning of this statistic. We're mm-hmm. going to decouple cases from meaning we are going to and you know and that's i guess and that's why um you know talking about sort of these these um all because all of this stuff is related obviously but talk, talking about this in tandem with the like with covid versus for covid hospitalization stuff i think is important because it's like once you start decoupling cases from meaning you have no choice but then to also try and decouple hospitalizations from meaning and we've already seen throughout the whole pandemic through the deaths pulled from the future kind of framework the decoupling of deaths from meaning right? and as, so, as we'll discuss with the whole issue of with verse four or with versus pre-existing because, right? conditions like, etc yeah yeah that not is, to take us too far ahead yeah sorry. but that is like a whole part of sort of the second half of this argument because ultimately like if you give a mouse a cookie like he's gonna ask <laughs> to also ask with four <laughs> yeah no and it's but it's also i think it's significant <laughs> sorry in that you know the the line from the administration's like surrogates uh, now is, you know, in addition to this, it's look, would it be nice if we had other sort of protections in place, if uh, schools were better ventilated and you had uh, greater sort of staff capacity? And would it be nice if, you know, we could do greater lockdowns to like preserve like schools being able to be in person? Like, sure, but we can't. So we have to just do this. Like, in order for all of that to gel, you cannot, things have to look roughly normal because they've already said, look, we're not going to do anything 
We're not going to do anything really stimulative or socially protective. We're giving up on that element of it. We're, we're whatever like political creativity had, we're not going to like expend it in that direction. Right. I think their understanding of how they wanted this year to go is like somehow they get mansion on board with some limited version of build back better <laughs> and they can all go home and say they've had a productive legislative career. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> um, you know, and then, and sail into 2022 and do whatever, do marginally like do the coin flip they were going to do. But this has thrown a wrench in their plans and they're reluctant to, they're reluctant to to change it in any way. And so now they're doubling down on um, the idea that things are, in fact, uh, normal and that if anybody's telling you different, that's their problem. And they're right. the, mm-hmm. and they're the group or organization that is really being irresponsible. And so this is how you get the Lori Lightfoot response to uh, mm-hmm. CTU uh, in Chicago. Like this is this is how you get um, rising agitation of parents because they you know, because parents know that. If their kids aren't going back to school, that there's not going to be any protections for them because the right. Biden administration said they're not going to do anything else. Yeah. And so this is like this is this is like I would say I don't even know that this is a bank shot. I don't I don't even know that there's any strategy to this, whatever. It's just the sort of the baseline, uh, you know, nothing will fundamentally change thing that we should have expected kind of from the beginning. Right. right. Yeah. No, this is the um, this is the finding out part of fucking around. I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I I know we talked about this in the context of like the new CDC guidelines shortening the isolation period for people who test positive with COVID from 10 to 5 days as being part of this sort of shift from selling the reopening to selling staying open, yeah. right? And I, I think this also, this argument of sort of how we're supposed to exactly understand danger and risk right now because ultimately this conversation about case numbers i mean monica gandhi is incredibly explicit about this even in a guardian um piece that she gave comment for she says quote case counts are causing a lot of panic and fear right so you know she says quote case counts are causing a lot of panic and fear as if you know the case counts right not the fact that there is like pervasive like sickness right and that in the face of that pervasive um and very obviously spreading and accelerating like illness throughout the population right. that you're being told everything is fine right chill the fuck out well, any anxiety you have is like pathologized beyond belief to the point of being conspiracy <laughs> right like right. how could people fucking not panic in that context, right? But no, the infection numbers, the case counts themselves are causing the panic. And in a way, Monica Gandhi is right. Like, but she's only telling half the story, right? And she thinks that if we could just hide those case count numbers, that it would be easier to sort of politically move on towards, I think, this goal that you're you're highlighting, Phil, of sort of like pat ourselves on the back, Good career, well done. Let's focus on the midterms and begin that fundraising cycle and put COVID behind us and and you know stay open. Well, which is why it's very indicative to look to what like how people like Monica Gandhi, who are more explicit in these terms, right. um, have framed it because it is you know for for them it's a you know it's sort of like the the whole um, you know speaking of the schools stuff, it's like sort of just the same as how you know people always 
are quick to march forward and say like, oh, but what about the psychological distress of like children not being mm-hmm. uh, in school or whatever? <laughs> never, never mentioning like the psychological distress of like being in a school that is like rampant with cases or just or like being it, living during a pandemic or yeah, no, but, but this is the thing because then some, you know, someone like Monica Gandhi is more willing to go out there and say like, look, your panic over the fact that things are still bad Mm-hmm. is causing me psychological distress it is mm-hmm. harshing my vibes you know mm-hmm. and making um, my job harder well and that's right. and that's also i think the thing that sort of reinforced it's actually not just assert that things are normal but when people act i think in completely rational ways in responding so this is the thing it's like the this the concept that I think like social scientists have like the 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 vast irrational masses really to me belies a lot about the way that I think people in fact behave. People don't actually want to put themselves at grave risk. People would like to, you know, if they're feeling sick, uh, they would like to know whether or not they in fact have this very prevalent uh, infectious disease. They might want to get a test. And so it's not just like um, asserting that things are normal. It's punching down. It's punching down when people take completely rational actions to respond to the fact that it is not normal. And so this right. is like this this Ben Mazer piece that ran in the Atlantic was mm-hmm. was one of the most galling uh, things to read in this regard, because it's just like, yeah, by the way, like you are being irresponsible uh, for getting tested. People are like over testing themselves. And it's like, OK, you know, I get that we have a, uh, you know, a shortage of testing right now. But is it worth it to punch down on people who are, you know, it's like people are not recre people do not recreationally take a COVID test. It is that is an absurd thing to claim. They're they're annoying to take. You had to wait. It's not very fun to watch. I mean, <laughs> you probably watch like cheese rot like in the fridge. That would be more interesting to to watch. There's I, risk involved. There is there's risk involved, yeah. right? Like, so, so I don't see like that. Like that's an absurd thing to argue. But also, like even if there are like a hypothetical like contingent of people out there who, uh, you know, re- recreationally test, we're just like having a testing party, gang. We we've given up the coke and the lewds, but we're gonna like do a testing party. Like even if that exists in some you know uh, modern day uh, Gamora. Uh, like, I, why would you waste any time in punching down people who are just like, you know, generally speaking, you know, trying to take more precaution in their life and trying to do something that is incredibly easy to do in many other countries, which is just like get tested um, to prevent the spread of a disease. Then, you know, focusing on the fact that the administration doesn't even have their purported website up where you can find things. Biden's <laughs> advice is like, Hey, just Google it. Yeah. Like find oh out God. with like, this is an absurd thing. Google quote COVID test near me. Go there. Google, excuse me, COVID test near me on Google to find the nearest site where you can get a test most often and free yeah. uh, to, to sort of claim. So it's like, in addition to just let me Google that for like you, hiding, uh, you know, hi- highlighting or reinforcing this, you know, altered reality is punishing people for challenging the idea that that fake world that you've tried to create through 
an abductive like process of like uh, statistics and you know uh, narratives uh, that you can you know, use the bully pulpit to to produce. Um, you're now going to punish people for like saying, hey, uh, by the way, I don't really think that that makes sense in my classroom. Um, you know, like, hey, you know, we don't have if I were to get sick, which is pretty likely uh, we don't even have substitutes to like, have, you know, like that's that's the um, the, the the thrust of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, if I can just play Mr. Exposition for one second, Go for the it. Atlantic piece by Benjamin Mazur that Phil is referencing was headlined. Stop wasting covid tests, people. A good headline to see in the midst of the. A, an unprecedented wave of new cases. That's yeah, a, just a great thing to say to good people. Thing to run. Really cool. Yeah. Especially and as also, we know, by the August, way, I, like, I, I have to say this on the pod. Also, very affirmatively retweeted and aggressively defended <laughs> by the National Association of City and County Health Officials. Thanks, Oh my gang. God, yes. Um, and their, their, their whole thing was like, you know, uh, you know, we can both like critique the administration uh, for inadequate tests and tell people like to to not irresponsibly use tests at the same time. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You haven't said anything about the administration's testing strategy <laughs> really since about October. So I love glad how to you... see that you're using your your uh, your policy platform for that. I love how you called them out on that. And, and they went they after me. They replied to you like, uh, I don't know. Did you read the article? <laughs> like, so awesome. <laughs> in con- anyway. So good. Not to. Yeah. Sorry yeah. To. No. I, well, and the thing that's so frustrating is that like this argument isn't only in the United States. Uh, yeah, it's in Canada parts of too. Canada have implemented it just this week alone. So when they were announcing that they were implementing like a they're having explosions of cases like all over Canada, just like the United States right now. And so there were announcements made this week that they were going to stop reporting um, total case numbers. And so Dr. Robert Strang, Nova Scotia's chief medical officer of health at this press conference announcing it says, quote, we no longer need to identify and have public health manage every single case of the variant because for most people, that will result in relatively mild illness. So we need to focus our efforts and resources on our most vulnerable groups. Omicron is all around us, and we have to recognize that you could be exposed anywhere. It's not about managing and slowing down the spread, but not eliminating it. So, you know, it's like these things like are being framed as like, oh, well, we have to do this so that we can like take these resources that we've made to be artificially scarce. You know, I'm thinking of like the the thing that we covered in the early fall about Abbott destroying thousands of rapid tests. And, uh, you know, the Biden administration made the announcement that they were going to open this free testing uh, delivery program and they hadn't even made the purchase order yet for the tests that they had promised. Right. And so now there's all this discussion of delays like this sort of artificial austerity that we've created is like being used. And the fact of like that immune compromised people don't develop the same immune protection like these two things together. Um, coexisting, which like is a problem, right, is being used as as leverage to try and advocate for things that are going to actively make it like more dangerous and more difficult for anyone who is medically vulnerable at all to survive this thing. It's really frustrating because, you know, not only do we see like overtly eugenic messaging, people saying like, you know, people who die if they have a pre-existing condition, like their death doesn't really mean as much or matter as much. But then we also have this sort of you know, subtextual like weaponization of, oh, well, we have to protect these groups that is then used to enact policies that put them at more risk. And it's this kind of like dual messaging that just has coexisted the entire time throughout this pandemic of like, 
vulnerable people are going to die and their deaths need to be protected. And also like vulnerable people don't matter. Right. And like their deaths were pulled from the future. Sorry, I don't have a good follow up. That's just you just made a good point. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's I mean, and for all those reasons, exactly as I think one of the reasons why it's important to talk about this hospitalized with versus hospitalized for argument yeah. um, in conjunction with this case's thing. So if we can actually be as do you want to set this up, I guess. So now for this sort of second argument that we've been discussing, which is the idea that we need to start differentiating between types of COVID hospitalizations because some count more than others. And this has been primarily framed as doing a sort of more uh, high-level data analysis of hospital data where people like Emily Oster have been calling for trying to like beef up uh, the way that hospitalization figures are reported so that they can start differentiating publicly between people who are hospitalized with COVID or people who are hospitalized for COVID. And for example, when like New York State announced that they were going to start differentiating between those hospitalized with COVID or those hospitalized because COVID, Governor Kathy Hochul gave the example of, which is like really bad faith example. Well, you know, what if someone comes in uh, a victim of a car crash and they test positive for COVID as if like it doesn't also matter, right? That they also (laughs) had COVID. This this is a fascinating one, though, because it's Mm -hmm. basically like an old right wing line from the very beginning of the pandemic that has been now just like refashioned into like liberal common sense down to the car accident. Uh, oh yeah, example. Yep. that Verbatim. was one of the classic ones, and it's like okay, if it were the case that the person, you know, it, from the beginning, this is what we said. It's like okay, well that that whole line presupposes that if we're talking about deaths, that you don't know how to read a death certificate because <laughs> if the person died because of uh, impact because of a car crash, that'd be in part one of the death certificate, the direct causal chain. Were there other things like that, you know? are important, they would have been in the other parts of the death certificates, like not the cause. Now, in the case of hospitalizations, right, the thing that this has sort of morphed into, and I think why it's gotten some buy-in from professional public health types, is they're like, well, we do record, you know, we do uh, do COVID tests of people who are admitted, everybody who's admitted. And the, uh, you know, people say like the HHS infrastructure, the data infrastructure doesn't differentiate uh, between people who are admitted due to symptoms related to COVID and people who are admitted and also had a positive COVID test. But there is a filtration on cause of admission. And the other thing is like, do you really think that there is an abnormal surge in hospitalization rates and hospital utilization right now because of just a sporadic increase in all cause admissions? <laughs> A or, lot of look, a lot of people are breaking their legs. We just have an yeah, epidemic like, of leg, like at a very difficult, legs. a bunch of very difficult performances of the nutcracker have just right. occurred. And Absolutely. we have just an epidemic of broken <laughs> legs. And oh, they happen they to be performing in COVID. audiences where a lot of people were spreading COVID and they all happen to test positive for COVID as well. Like I that's have, absurd. <laughs> like it's it's really. Yeah. Well, and that's the good faith example, because then there are also the bad faith examples of like, oh, there are thousands of like young men who are just like uh, dropping with myocarditis, not post vaccine, but maybe post asymptomatic infection. And they just are under a lot of stress right now. And so they're having like heart problems. It's not that they've been like exposed to COVID repeatedly, whether they had a choice in it or not. And like whether you experience symptoms of COVID sometimes like 
the body reacts to it in a way that is like long term damaging and like can create chronic health conditions. No, 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 no. It's just a fucking coincidence. No relation. I just want to get one thing in here really quick, which I think is the most important thing to contextualize this whole debate, though, because um, one, okay, sure. Differentiate between with and for like, like, right. Like differentiate between like hospitalized for COVID hospitalized with COVID incidentally or, or whatever. Not that that's not already kind of to, to certain extents in some of like the data, right? Like whatever, even doing that though, right. Even if, even if somehow, um, this happens and it's not done in a bad faith kind of way where it's like, okay, well, like this person, definitely died of COVID or definitely is hospitalized for, uh, for COVID, but like they've got, uh, you know, some, some chronic condition or, or whatever. And therefore like, let's say that they're hospitalized for like, you know, a flare of their chronic condition. Right. Which I I think is the problem with the slippery slip of saying, of starting to, to try and mince, take fine points to data like this and then say like, you know, that there, there's a big differentiation here, but like, even if you do that, there is, according to the CDC, one in 1.9 COVID hospitalizations are actually reported, or at least were actually reported between the start of the pandemic and September 2021 when the data is from. What that means is for every one, that whenever you see the hospitalization metric, mm-hmm. it is likely by CDC's own est- estimation that for every one COVID hospitalization, there are actually 1.9 cases hospitalized. Holy shit. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. CDC's estimation is that there is that hospitalization of COVID cases in the first place is undercounted substantially right. by almost These people half. Are so fucking literally full of almost shit. half. They're I would so say half, but I want to be more accurate than these fuckers are being because one in one point nine is you know not quite half. But I'm sa- seriously like this is. <sighs> But, so this is this is important. It's like that's the most important thing I think to to note, which is Thank that in the first in, place, Ernie. yeah, that's a good. In the first place, this is absurd on its face, and now I think we can continue to debate the merits of what they're actually saying. I'm just stunned. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I didn't no, it's, it's, it's stunning. <laughs> it's stunning. Also, when you just look at essentially just at like ICU utilization, which. Right. You know, overall and for COVID, like I think 82% of ICU beds in the United States are utilized. 28% of those are for COVID, right? Like that's regardless of like what way you're trying to slide. Like my point is, if you think that you're somehow going to get out of or you're helping hospitals out by slicing and dicing the data in a different way, or even if you think slicing and dicing the data in a different way is going to like really get you a different picture, like a right. substantively different picture so. of what you really well, I mean, think so. Right. And like perhaps at the level of like graphs, charts and public understanding of the world, maybe they think that that is true and maybe they will actually succeed in change like i get my point is like people already are predisposed to think things aren't that bad right that like people do not want to to, that there's an anchoring cognitive anchoring effect people don't want to think that right so now they're just especially when it comes to communicable diseases too and that's like been historically documented over and over again whether the disease is stigmatized or not like people always underestimate right so what they're doing essentially is by reinforcing that like view of the world what they're doing is they're actually running the risk of making things a whole lot worse uh, for hospitals i mean like it it seems i i one has to wonder the perception of like a you know person who is working at a place that is 
like at capacity, like losing staff, uh, beds are filled. Like this is the situation of like, you know, rural hospitals with which I am acquainted in Pennsylvania. Like the insult to say like, you know, what we need to do is like the real problem is here is like we haven't like sliced and diced the data in the correct way. And like, actually, if you look at it this way, things aren't that bad. I mean, that's that's just uh, not only is it prima facie, like absurd, like yeah. it is like insulting and harmful uh, to the like future state of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, and they just it's so desperate, too, isn't it? Right. It is pretty like desperate. it just reeks of like just desperation and oh if we could just do it this way if we could just change the numbers a little bit and and say these are the numbers that matter then we'll get the results that we want it's fucking playing with your food to make it look the way you want and ultimately like no matter what they try to do right because they are coming in bad faith they are attempting to impose a kind of rigid normality upon like a disease that does not respond to like appeals to logic right like diseases don't viruses don't think like they just behave and the behavior that they do is they replicate in people and they spread right and yet they just you know people like these covid commentators people in the administration zits like you know the chief of staff like all of them like think that if we just could create the right picture right like people will ignore it right, right? like and and that's what they're trying to get people to do is actually just like look away and forget that it matters. And then they're going to try and attempt to like impose statistical rigidity yeah. upon the process of COVID just, and monetize it ultimately even more than it already has. been. well, just, and just like the cases thing, but like, and this is why, and I think what's interesting is of course, you know, as we know what they're basically, what they're saying is they're trying to, um, you know, if they, if they actually go ahead and do this, if, if it's done in, you know, sort of a more good faith way, it's going to solve it. It's, you know, maybe solving, changing like a rounding error basically, or something like that. Um, what clearly what they think in terms of, or what at least some people think in terms of the sort of, uh, overly sunny picture of what they could get out of this is that they'll show like a dramatic reduction in basically how much we should care about hospitalizations, uh, in the, in this case about COVID hospitalizations. I want to read really briefly from, uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul's remarks that be referenced. Um, these are this is January 3rd. Um, and I just want to show exactly how sunny they think that this picture is that that's going to get for them, um, which clearly, as I as we've talked about just just earlier, these cases remain under counts to begin with. So, uh, you know, re- regardless of whatever you do to these numbers, they're higher than the numbers that you're getting on the page. Um, Hochul, quote, So we're looking at a critical moment, but we're going to start asking some questions. We talked about the hospitalizations. I have always wondered, we're looking at the hospitalizations of people testing positive in a hospital. Is that person in the hospital because of COVID or did they show up there and are routinely tested and showing positive and they may have been asymptomatic or even just had the sniffles? Someone is in a car accident. They go to the emergency room. They test positive for COVID while they're there. I'm seeing numbers from 20, sometimes 50%, but we don't have clear data right now. Now that's anecdotal. Beginning tomorrow, we're going to be asking all hospitals to break out for us. How many people are being hospitalized because of COVID symptoms? How many people happen to be testing positive just while they're in there for other treatments? I just want to always be honest with New Yorkers about how bad this is. Yes, the sheer numbers of people infected are high, but I want to see whether or not the hospitalizations 
correlate with mm. that, which I just want to point out sounds basically exactly like anything like the governor of Florida may have said over the last two years. Mm -hmm. It's also really sketchy because in a way, you know, what's going to be reported, right, is the because numbers and not mm -hmm. the with right. numbers. So following that logic right the because numbers are going to be what everybody hears and we're not going to be hearing about the with numbers which will also include people who were in the hospital who then acquired a hospital acquired infection yeah of covid because we know a lot of people are getting sick when they're in the hospital for other so, things and yeah then so on one hand like yeah. it, it fucks over the workers of the hospital as you were saying yeah, phil that's my point on the other hand this really benefits the owners of the hospital and anyone charged with protecting the hospital for liability. Yeah. Right? It does because reduce their HAI rate. Yeah, that's right. What's HAI? Hospital no, acquired, acquired infections. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Or hospital associated Hospital associated infections, yeah. <laughs> I think it used to be acquired and then it got lobbied to be changed to be like associated because they were like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, the NHA was like, oh, technically, it's not like you're getting it from the hospital, but people perceive it that way. And then it's they think kiss the hospital by is a bad. rose, not kiss from a rose. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy. And all these sort of semantics, right? These are kind of like the negative mirror of that sort of positive claim that we saw very early in the pandemic that, you know, you don't need to worry if you have a pre-existing condition, right? Like, or uh, if you're young and healthy, COVID is not a risk to you. But like both that and the with like the with for debate are relying on this oversimplification of well people, you know, having, quote, like other reasons as well to die, not just covid. Right. Like it's right. like people are like, well, you know, it's like they died of like diabetic shock, sepsis and covid. So it's not really on covid. Right. And it's a way to sort of not only like. I think reinforce the idea that people like, as I'm saying, the sort of positive claim of like, if you're healthy, you're fine. But also it minimizes and, and like it makes sort of smaller the fact that the death occurred at all. Right. Well, there's a deep irony here, too, because I feel like a lot of the people like emphasizing this now are the people who are saying, you know, um, who are like, you know, trust the science during the Trump administration and were very skeptical and very critical of the sort of administration's intimations of like, you know, and, and, you know, uh, for versus with, and, oh, this person was just there, uh, because they had these underlying conditions and that's the reason why they died, even though like COVID would have been a, but for cause of their death. Um, those people are now, uh, at least uh, some of them I've seen are like, you know, in favor of doing this. And it's like, I get you want to have some specificity and actually like what's going on in the clinical setting, but do not be mistaken about why uh, elected officials are pushing this now. It is not because they want a clearer picture of what is going on in the clinical space. Like, right. and, and regardless of what you want as a researcher or what you think, you know, would be the ideal situation of like data, like, do not be f like it's just these people are like so easily fooled. It's like that's not why they're doing it. It's not yeah. they're not doing it because they're like you and they want you know like but to do research. That's not <laughs> the purpose of this. That these yeah. indicators have a life of their own. And if you can't see that, you haven't been looking at what's happening throughout the pandemic. It's been more that that very fact has been more visible than ever. I would like to point out 
<laughs> that um, so both of you just mentioned this relationship of the the question are people you know hospitalized for COVID or with COVID um, incidentally or whatever as uh, as having like this kind of pernicious relationship to the suggestion that um, some people are just sort of inherently vulnerable, right? <laughs> I would like to point out how actually uh, importantly the the kernel of this distinction Mm -hmm. the sort of originating um frame of this distinction which is not explicitly repeated in hochul's remarks it's not explicitly repeated in i don't know emily oster's question asking for which hospitals collect this data it's not explicitly made this is not made explicit in a bunch of uh other places anymore it's become sort of denatured from 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 its original way that it was posed but sort of the first way that this was used was explicitly sort of about this relationship. I'm going to, um, and I've been reading a lot, but I'm going to do one more. I'm going to read from, uh, I'm going to read statements from Dr. John Ioannidis uh, from April 2020. Um, now, for those who don't remember him, throwback. he... Yeah, throwback. Yeah, throwback. Uh, here. Early, early on in the pandemic, he drew a lot of heat for writing this study that said it was totally fine to fly in an airplane and it was like really no big deal. And then the study turned out to be funded by like the CEO of JetBlue. He also um, famously estimated that COVID would only kill 10,000 people in the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, early on, he was one of the, he was basically sort of one of the OG like anti shutdown scientists um saying stuff and is still like a professor of epidemiology and public health at stanford university saying stuff though like that countries risked overreacting with uh through shutdowns that they would do more harm than good quote like an elephant being attacked by a house cat what? frustrated and trying to avoid the cat the elephant accidentally jumps off a cliff and dies unquote what? is what he said of shutdowns anyway what more importantly, <laughs> um, here's Ionitis in April 2020. Go ahead. Sorry. You throw out a hypothetical like that and you ever expect to be taken seriously again? Like, what are you trying to be like a Supreme Court justice? It's something? a metaphor, not a hypothetical. What if a clown <laughs> named Mr. Clown, who is in the phone book under clown, comma, Mr.? <laughs> Uh, so clown, comma, Mr. Uh, says, John Ionitis says, um, <laughs> Uh, says in April 2020, and again, this is—I'm sure he's not the first person to say this, but this is, I think, he's a definitely really, one of the first. This is a well-articulated version of what the original with with slash four binary was. "Quote: There is some contentious issue about what exactly should count as a COVID-19 death. For example, in the last few days in New York City, again 2020." We have seen a very large number of probable COVID-19 deaths being added to the figures, and these are deaths where we have not documented with laboratory testing the presence of the virus. So they are pretty presumptive in terms of whether these are deaths that were caused by (laughs) COVID-19 or whether COVID-19 was present but not really a key player in the demise of the patient. Ah, okay. So can I jump in there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is great because even at this point, I'm now remembering why... He said this is like even at this. okay, so like testing wasn't widely available at the beginning of the pandemic. And you did have people who were essentially had covid, but weren't tested. Um, They weren't confirmed cases. But even in that case, you had um, pretty clear guidelines for clinical and epidemiological 
certification of of COVID nineteen deaths. Like you would right. not have in filling out the form been like given to like like mistake that there were really like it was actually a pretty clear and high bar for clinical and epidemiological diagnosis so i mean i love that because it illustrates just how um like willfully neglectful of the way that things work you know people can be when they just want to make a point um exactly ionitis continues in italy where we have some more mature data we see that close to 99 percent of people have underlying diseases actually <laughs> in most cases multiple underlying diseases and underlying causes that could also have led them to death in the u.s it seems to be less but we would need to get some more in-depth analysis of what exactly is killing these people and how so the data in Italy later in the later in this. Um, so so the data in Italy suggests that it's very difficult to differentiate between deaths by SARS-CoV-2 and deaths with SARS-CoV-2, since we had close to ninety nine percent of people dying having other causes that may have contributed to their demise. Again, deaths pulled from the future. This idea that you know the vulnerable people. Are we're merely just waiting only to die. matters if it alone it's, kills you. If it alone doesn't kill you, then that was on you. Since we had close to 99% of people dying, having other causes that may have contributed to their demise, it's very difficult to dissociate and say that these people have... <laughs> man, it's so it's easy, very to easy to dissociate, <laughs> though, man. Come on. <laughs> Jinx. Um, dissociating right now. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) since we had, uh, these figures, it's very difficult to dissociate and say that these people specifically died because they were infected. It's very likely that many of them would have died anyhow, if not immediately within a very short period of time because of these other causes of death that they had. I think this is an ongoing debate. Man, per- um, Hercule Poirot. <laughs> yeah. He then goes on to say that people may be putting uh, COVID-19 on death certificates like subconsciously just because it's like a popular disease. It's anyway. auto-writing. It's the Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> but I, I just want to point out some key differences here. One of them you already pointed out, Phil. First, um, the, the sort of originating part of this was like, let's assume it died with COVID versus died of COVID binary because of lack of testing. Right. Right. Though notice again, as I've you know mentioned, the the claim is tied up in this death pulled from the future thing, um, which has become really the the problem is if you think about it, like Ionitis's claims about vulnerability really are only just like barely steps removed from the same logic of saying like, well, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated, Absolutely. therefore let's downplay or pandemic of the unboosted reduce right or reduce the let's either downplay or seek to reduce the number of um reported like uh cases and deaths um hospitalizations let's say that like cases don't really matter as a metric anymore let's say that hospitalizations um you know you, you should understand that whatever hospitalization number that you're seeing you should question that number etc right i mean that's literally the those that those are mm-hmm. really mainstream lines right now that's if you pick up the fucking new york times that's like yeah people all over say it. if you don't believe that that you're paranoid and that you are you know addicted to lockdown yeah right yeah it's it's funny i i have a sort of like the thing with cases i mean it's and and, and actually a variety of these conceptual innovations they've been around for a while during the pandemic and they they survive not because anybody necessarily believes that, like, not because they like have endurance as things that make sense or that or actually gel uh, for people in the way they experience the reality. Because when a 
you know, a viral pandemic is, is ripping through a population, there are only so many ways to, at the, like, coalface, uh, hide that. Uh, like, so these things don't last, but they don't, I suppose, need to. Uh, what you see is people just sort of like combining and recombining them and finding new ways to use them. And they sort of echo back and forth across the canyon wall of American partisanship. And <laughs> and people like, lo and behold, people you maybe never would have thought uh, mm-hmm. would be using these sorts of um, rhetorical tricks uh, are using them now. And that's because the right. same underlying political economy hasn't changed. The same sort of underlying institutional impulses uh, haven't changed. Uh even as the virus has mutated, capitalism has sort of remained remarkably resilient uh, in its face. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to say, I guess, one other thing, too, which is that um, for me, one of the, you know, obviously, like, whatever, I hope I never say this because I never, but uh, we, we take great pain to, like, uh, make sure that we're never, like, overstepping on statements here. But I do hope, I guess, like, I hope we're wrong or whatever. Um, I, I don't think so. But I think the 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 thing that concerns me maybe in particular is that I think if I take out my sort of like death panel, like Cassandra statement generator or whatever, the sort of inevitable consequence that I see from all of this stuff that we've talked about today and obviously from the pandemic of the unvaccinated line. So in many ways, the stuff we've been talking about for like a year, the inevitable consequence of this is we're getting i think closer and closer um by the day to the point where like the biden administration's own pushing of the goalposts and sort of like Mm -hmm. liberal liberal commentators sort of like you know joined up with that and sort of like hegemonic discourse to like move these goalposts um and all the rhetoric being used like drive us significantly further towards the point where literally people will be turned away from the hospital basically for having covid like whether that's because they're unvaccinated and they're turned away from the hospital or it's because they can't like produce their vaccination card. This is a bonus uh, because I don't want to, I was considering uh, trying to like have this be a whole thing that we talk about, but I think it's just like too rough maybe. And I, I want to just like point it to everyone. I'll, I'll post this in the server in the death panel server in episode chat, but um, our very favorite uh, bullshit philosopher, Peter Singer, <laughs> for instance, released just yesterday a piece called victims of the unvaccinated where he explicitly argued the argument is that the unvaccinated do not deserve hospital beds that in the case where there has to be a choice between literally he says that there should be that if there is an unvaccinated patient taking up a hospital bed and a vaccinated person shows up and needs a hospital bed that that person who is unvaccinated should have their hospital bed taken away and be kicked out. That's effective altruism. Yeah, that's Te- effective altruism. Textually, so. that yeah, that's very consistent with his other worldviews. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? If you want to hear more about Peter Singer, Peter Singer. Uh, our, our episode, The Many Saints of Austerity. Yeah. Very good. Highly recommend well, it. I mean, it's and it's not even like the eugenic wackadoos like Peter Singer, right? Like it's like people who have been generally good on COVID. Uh, some of them, yeah. Some of them, yeah. Like, for example, it was like in uh, This Week in Virology, episode 847, Alan <laughs> Dove, whose opinion I have mostly appreciated despite the fact that I have consistently disagreed with a lot of his political analysis. <laughs> like, he says on that episode of that podcast, which is like a bunch of like capital E experts sitting down to like talk through papers, um, I'm going to get boosted because when I end up in the hospital, if I get sick, 
I don't want to be discriminated against. Right. Like that's someone, you know, this, and this is a podcast who's been like very consistently like pro Biden. And frankly, like recently has like pivoted to shilling for the Biden administration more than they have like anything else. Right. right. And, and previously they did a clinical update where like with vitriol, the host Vincent Racaniello was like, do we really have to like cover the care of like, how long are we going to keep up things designed to protect only the unvaccinated? Yeah. Exactly. And it's just the hate there is deep. Right. And it's like structurally being weaponized right now. And ultimately like, as I said again, like the people who are unvaccinated, there are like 65 million children under five, I think. Yeah. Right. There are a lot of immune compromised people. We don't even know how many immune compromised people are in the United States. Right. And ultimately, you know, this is just to serve the interests of like trying to make the problem appear smaller Yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and I think that's probably a good place to leave it yep. for this week. Yeah. Um, as is clear, anyone who is continuing to assert that everything is fine and people should simply be vaxxed and relaxed <laughs> um, either doesn't know what they are talking about, is lying to you, or I guess by is lying to you, I mean like they're trying to make all the deaths stop having meaning. meaning. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Patrons, we will see you on Monday in the patron feed. And if you'd like to get access to all of our bonus episodes, become a patron and you can hear episodes like our one from earlier this week about the CDC's new updated guidelines for isolation. That's patreon.com slash death panel pod, which, as I mentioned before, is actually a direct consequence, it seems like, from that um, that meeting that I, I talked about. Um, oh, interesting. That I brought up from the seat. Right. Well, I mean, that's that, that's one of the reasons why I brought it up was because like the the quote there where they say, like, we need to get this messaging out as quickly and as clearly as possible of like, if you get it, you are likely to be asymptomatic. Mm. Right. Um, that's the principal logic. Um, well, if you listen to the episode, you'll know what I'm talking about, but that's the principal logic used to defend it. Used to, used to defend the, um, isolation guideline change. So yeah, so. patreon.com slash death panel pod. And, uh, don't forget to share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes or follow us at death panel underscore. And as always, Medicare for all now, solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
presente, el dolor lo tengo presente, el dolor lo tengo presente, el dolor. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm, I've, I've decided to quit my analysis of politics and really go back to what I what I was doing before all of that. I'm going to write um, a book on playing old maid. Uh, (laughs) and uh, it's going to be about all the strategy and the way that uh you know contemporary old maid players uh you know can inform our understanding of risk and the world and redefine capitalism yeah Yeah, it's going to be released what right against up against nate silver's new book on poker uh what's the what what is on the, the edge is, is the title. I th- I think what, I think that he's exactly? overlooked the uh, overlooked the 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 value of the the old maid or or perhaps even go fish. I might write a an appendix about my my years in the go fish circuits. <laughs> what exactly does he say about his uh, book or what All is right, what is the this publisher? Is, this I guess, is this say is about this is the, the, pu- the publisher. <laughs> this is the Nate Silver's new book is is going to be called. On the edge, how successful gamblers think and what it tells us about navigating risk. (laughs) Penguin, Penguin is going to be publishing this in in 2022. Uh, Here's the the copy. Um, At a time when everyday Americans increasingly grapple with complex decisions about risk, Silver will investigate gamblers, not only in fields like poker and sports, but also those who run the financial, cryptocurrency, and real estate markets. Change the way art is valued and bought. Continually <laughs> redefine American capitalism in the name of risk and oh more. God. I cannot redefine wait. American <laughs> capitalism <laughs> redefine. in the name of risk. Those who play with other people's lives, like amazing. Just that is the biggest Simpsons did it. Um. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> redefine american capitalism in terms of risk as though that's not literally how american uh, capitalism has been defined forever it is so i said oh this boy. in the i said this it's in the group fun. chat but i don't know i think writing a book about poker is lame and i'm a fucking adult who plays magic <laughs> gathering so man maybe that's please. the book you should write wizards of the coast you know that's yeah <laughs> exactly how uh how choosing decisions on stack priority uh, influences how we should think about American capitalism. Anyway. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Honestly, it would probably be a better book than whatever this is going to be though. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Uh, okay. Jeez. That's a good warm up. I wonder what month that's coming at. It says late 2022, but whatever. All right, cool. Can be released against health communism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, was saying, I, was saying, I really hope that you guys have a release date that's synced up. Two books that are in fact about how capitalism is defined by risk. So there you go. Uh, hey, um, who knows? 